Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us here on our 46th episode. And the 46th episode is with head coach of Corona del Sol in Tempe, Arizona, Mr. David Webb. Coach Webb is been a state champion, uh, 5A state champion. At the time, they were the biggest all-time. Right now, they're 6A. But in 2009, they were state champions there in Arizona. Uh, one of the biggest high schools in Arizona. Uh, been their head coach 16 seasons, 23rd season overall at Del Sol. It's been the final four six times, been the state finalists two other times besides the time they won it. So being at the final game there three times. He's also been head coach of the USA 14U national team as well as 12U national teams. Been involved with USA baseball for over 20 years. Um... This man's mission in Corona del Sol is to teach young men to always be great human beings. That's our program mission. He talks about it on the podcast. Um, extremely smart, great man. Uh, we talk about him being he's a chess player of the game, always finding ways to do things. We get into some uh, great ways of scoring runs. Um, he is a master of the West Coast offense, runs a West Coast tile of Austin offense. And and uh, for those people that don't know what that is, it's kind of a smaller ball, uh, finding unique ways to score runs. And uh, we get into a, a, a ton of that and have a lot of fun. This guy's this great energy, a great guy, and uh, really fortunate and, and uh, to be able to know Coach Webb and just the amazing baseball man that he is but even a better person, even a better person. That fully comes out with all the stuff he talks about in his program, how he treats his guys, and the expectations, the standards that he has set for them. And so without further ado, I want to get into this. I can't thank Coach Webb enough. Uh, again, Coach Ke- Coach Webb from Corona del Sol, check him out. But without further ado, I just want to welcome you. Enjoy the conversation with head coach at Corona del Sol, Dave Webb. Pretty much run our baseball program autonomous of everybody else. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have good programs, but some of them, you know, they're, they're, I think they're afraid of our grade program to look in there and see what their kids are doing. Whereas I check them weekly. Um, I, I don't think they talk much about character. I don't think they really know what's really going on with their kids. And I'm sure I don't know every little thing, but I try to stay on top of that. Not, I'm not obsessed with it. I'm not following them on Instagram or Snapchat or anything of that nature, but, um, they know where we stand on character. And I mean, it's our mantra. When I start my parent meeting, I tell them we are a character-based culture. You know, that's, that's what we are. And that's, that's literally on my title slide when I'm talking to parents day one of we've made our teams let's talk about what this year is going to look like in the spring we're a character-based culture and we're never wavering ever so awesome so so as you came up with this mission help teach young men to always be great human beings so when you do have that meeting it's just like this is our mission and and you base all your decisions basically based off of that yeah that's um oh for sure yeah it's um It is 100 uh, percent the reason why I think we get the clientele that we get. Now we're different. So um, it right or wrong, you know, there are states that have you have your school boundaries 
and you get all your own kids all the time. There's certain states. Uh, from what I've heard, like in like places like Florida, it's a free for all. Like kids can transfer anytime. They can leave and play football, the, uh, leave, or play football in the fall, leave, and then play baseball at a different school and be eligible in the spring. Mm. Um, we, don't, we don't have that. Um, but if you come into a school in your freshman year, um, you can come from anywhere and play at any school. It, the, our school is very big, our, our state, I should say, really big in school choice that if you're stuck in a district where that school is failing, mostly academically is what they're saying, then you can go to a school out of district. Okay. Um, and so, um, but you have to do it before your freshman year. If you do it after that, then you got to sit a year. Oh, really? So a transfer and you'll have to sit a year, basically yeah. like, like a division one transfer. Yeah. yeah. So uh, as long as you do it before. So we have, uh, we are, uh, uh, fairly affluent community, but it's getting older. Uh, the, you know, the kids have kind of left the roost and the parents have stayed. It's still a very nice area, but the population should be lower, but our school is so good academically as a public school and our sports are so good um, that we get kids from all over the place. Like mm -hmm. I, I live in a place called Gilbert, which is the fastest growing city in America. It's, I mean, it, it is just house after house after house still getting built out here. And there's all kinds of new schools and we're getting kids that will leave this area that live out here and come to our school, uh, which our school was built in 77 because we're open districts. So um, I think they come not just for good baseball, but because, you know, we have a reputation for holding kids accountable that we don't put up with stuff. We, we hold grades above everything. Uh, we win year after year. We're winning uh, a team award for team GPA with the Arizona Interscholastic Association. And that stuff, which a lot of coaches are afraid to kind of hang their hat on is bringing us a lot of amazing kids that are also good baseball players. Um, that's the kind of kid we get now. It, it really is. It's the kind of kid we get in this situation. That's good awesome. kids. And especially uh, now, like, you know, we all know how, how strong the parent relationship is. Um, and I'm sure that probably helps you even get even better buy-in there. 100%. And you just, you just stay consistent. I mean, there, no one's better than the team. And that's the thing is, that's what's always going to get. And that seems very commonsensical, but that's what always going to get guys caught is, is when they bend for their better players or they look the other way for better players. And it happens. It happens at our school in certain sports. It's happened before. It always costs you. And I, I, I can honestly say I never do. <laughs> I never do. And because I don't, I think I just have this, it's an unwritten agreement. I've been there now for 16 years and as a head coach, I've been there for, you know, 23 overall. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they kind of know before, you know, they get there, what I'm all about. And then I clarify it for them, you know, in what I call Aztec baseball one-on-one, which I have at the very beginning of the year, uh, parents will come in and I put them through exactly what this world looks like, uh, what character looks like, what grades are going to look like. Um, and that their kid's going to be held accountable. Whether they do it or not, it's going to happen with me. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it's it's good. It's good stuff. I, I, I think getting it out of the way with parents, that's the problem is guys don't want to deal with parents, yet they want their money. Um, and so, you know, you got to play. You, you're not buddy-buddy with them and, you know, hanging out with them at bars or anything, you know. But you have a, a friendly relationship with them. You work with them. I mean, this is their kid, their most important thing in the world, right? Mm -hmm. 
And then when it comes down to it, when it comes down to it, when you meet with them, you set the standards and then you live up to those standards and they, they seem to respect it. We seem to get parents that respect that. I don't, I don't have a lot of parent issues at all, mm-hmm. you know, and then part of that is communication. We, I, I set forth in that meeting that I tell them um, the biggest thing kids, kids, I would say, actually, if you take it on the other side, if you take it on the coach's side, regards to sport, my daughter's going through this in the volleyball world. It drives me nuts right now. Uh, they don't communicate. It's a 1980s, my way or the highway mentality where, you know, they move you, they make a move. And just for the sake of the team, because you're on the team, you just deal with it. Well, a confused kid is is uh, less, less than enthusiastic kid to play the sport. The kid's confused why he's not playing. You know, and the parrot's confused. That's where you get stuff. If you beat him to a punch, you got a kid that's been playing eight games in a row and in, a, in the three hole, he's struggling. They don't always notice that they're struggling. They get after that eight games, you go, let's make a change. Go straight to him and let him know. Right. But some coaches just make the change and expect, hey, he's a team guy. If you're a team guy, you know why I made that change. You haven't been swinging the bat. I'm going to move on to this next guy and give him a shot. And they don't have that conversation. And you get a confused kid, which leads to a confused parents, which leads to huge problems. So communication, getting out front and really over communicating, being offensive with your communication is big. Being on the offense instead of the defense. Yeah. Go out there and, and before they even have a chance to have any other thought in their head, meet with them, pull them aside said, Hey, you're going to see in the lineup today. I know you've been in there, you know, the last few days, I'm going to give, you know, this kid another, a, a little bit of a shot. You've been struggling, keep battling, you push him. Okay. But at least he knows where he's at. And here's what I specifically need you to do to compete with him to hopefully get back in there in some way, shape or form. I, that's why I don't have problems. I really believe that. I try to teach that to younger coaches, not only in my program, but at our school that beat them to the punch with communication. As soon as you make the slightest change where a kid's going to go, did I do something wrong? Go mm-hmm. tell them exactly why you're making that change. And you'll save <laughs> you'll save so many addicts. You really will. And parents get that from me. So, yeah, sorry. I went off on What's a tangent. No, man, that's great. That's great. Let's go. Let's go. Let's keep rolling. Cause I was thinking that like, Joe, do you find yourself uh, like in practice situations doing that a lot? Or is it after, after practice? Um, All the time. I, I am not a sarcastic coach. I know there's a lot of coaches today that they coach and, and get giggles and laughs through being sarcastic with players or getting uh, a laugh at the, you know, expense of one kid, a laugh by everybody expense, one kid. I'm just not that guy. I'm just going to tell you directly what you're doing wrong and how to get better. And I'm going to tell you why it's wrong too. I'm going to communicate all those three points really right off the, you know, what you're doing wrong, what it's going to cost us and how in a game, this is going to kind of uh, affect us. It's going to give up an extra 90 feet. That 90 feet is going to put a guy in scoring position. And that's that one run you lose by our whole goal in our program is to win one run games. When you start looking at the one, how many years you've coached and how many one-run games you win and how many you lose, you start paying attention to not hitting a cutoff, not doing this, not having proper footwork on certain things and those controllables. And then you just divide your coaching between saying, hey, that this is your mistake. Here's what it's going to cost us in a game situation. This is why you need to do that. And then you encourage him to say, hey, in a respectful way, come back at me and say, okay, well, coach, what about this thing? And I want to know that I want to dialogue and we'll dialogue through a lot of stuff. Again, either you're that, uh, my way or the highway guy from the 1980s wearing bike shorts and 
you know, it, it, this is the way it's going to be. And, or, you know, you're in it all together. And when you start teaching them and you encourage them to be tactful and talk, talk to you back and ask questions, especially on the why of stuff, they really start to buy in. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of, you know, in a long way answering, I guess, your question there. What has been like, as, you, as you've held so many kids accountable, what's been like one of the biggest things that you're just like, that, that you've had to make a decision that's made, is there, is there anything that really stands out that you just like, we had this, this guy couldn't play, wasn't, it wasn't part of our standard? I've, I, uh, 2011. I figured you I, had one. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I'm going to tell you, this one spread throughout every year. And it, uh, as far as like through the community, people, I think word got out and I literally have not had this problem. It's not to say that the kids have been perfect. Uh, you know, um, I, I, I honestly don't know what they always do. I mean, that's for parents at some point, you got to turn it over to parents. But uh, I know they now know where I stand. I had um, five kids who were all returners, uh, four seniors and all starters, all starters too, and one junior. And they, uh, after Thursday of our week trial, we're going to have cuts on Friday, after practice on Thursday, they were at the local park down the street. We finished at about 530. The sun's up at that time of year for a fair amount of time. And uh, so they went down to the park. They were sitting right in the back of a truck, still in their Corona gear, uh, in the back of a truck. And they were smoking out of a bong in front of God's creation and everybody. There was kids practicing. There was a lacrosse practice. There was a parent that stopped by and like, are you seriously doing this? And they were so emboldened. They're like, who cares? And they, you know, kind of attitude. And then our, our, our lacrosse team was a club back then. It wasn't a sport. Uh, at our school and that club lacrosse team is a teacher that I teach with and he talked to one of these parents and saw with his own eyes what was going on and he came and he goes I know you don't want to hear this but this is what happened and I know one of the guys was this kid and I said I appreciate that so there we are on cut day this is cut day Friday I call one guy in and me and another coach are in there it was Vesley yeah coach Vesley, yeah met. And we go, all right, we're going to give you a chance here. This is what's being said. You were there. Did it happen? And he goes, yes, coach. And so I said, all right, this was a group of guys. Uh, who was there? Tell me who was there. You know, and some guys would say that was wrong to say that, but I wanted to know. So I asked him and he basically bus chucked everybody. I looked at him and I said, I respect that. You're cut. And I sent him home. And then I went and grabbed every kid that was there. Uh, there was a lot of tears. There was a lot of stuff. There was one kid actually who literally said to me, uh, coach, I have a problem. I can't go to sleep without smoking. I can't mm -hmm. study without smoking. My parents have no idea. I sneak out my window and go in my backyard and then sneak back in. I mean, and we were able to get him some help, which was good because he, yeah. he was deep into it. Um, I cut every single one of them. Wow. And I brought up five sophomores and that, that team, the, the team I brought up in two years ended up going to the state finals. So, um, you know, something, but it set the tone and it was tough. I had a mom that sat in the room and said, you know, can't, you don't believe in second chances. And I say, yeah, but these kids know exactly what my expectations are. 
And at that time, you know, it's, we just legalized marijuana, but it, it wasn't legal then in right. 2011. And I said, I got standards and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, it's a tough lesson. You know, hopefully they'll, they'll learn that they don't live up to our standards. She looked me straight in the eye. My son was probably, my son who's a freshman in college now. Yeah. Uh, it was what, seven, eight years ago. So he's probably 10. Mm-hmm. You know, and she looks, I know you have a son. You wait till he gets into high school and he screws up and he gets caught smoking marijuana sometime. You're going to want a coach that's going to give him another chance because he spent all this time. And I just said, ma'am, respectfully, my son ain't going to get caught smoking marijuana. <laughs> she didn't like that. She didn't like that. And, and she goes, oh, your son's perfect. And they, that ended in a hurry. But I kind of resented that she she used that to give me a little speech on my own child who mm-hmm. she didn't know. And and uh, that's where it left off. And, you know, we, we took our lumps early in that year. But I tell you, we came back and had a great year that year. And seemingly those next few years after that, we were on the same. I ended up one of the kids that literally got away, told me he he wasn't there. The rest of the kids said he wasn't there. But then I found out later that he was there. Mm. I let it ride for a while. And it's funny how that stuff comes home to roost. Later in the season, we're one game from the state playoffs. He's an ace. Uh, by the way, I'll tell you, this kid pitched for a particular team in 2016 in the College World Series. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Right. Uh, and uh, which is interesting because I kicked him off the team. This, I kicked him off the team that same year. Um, we were going to the last game of senior day. Senior day. Well, I told him the week before, I'm like, I never play all seniors on senior day. I'll play some. I'll try to get you in. If all of a sudden we start boat racing somebody or we're getting boat raced, I might throw you guys all out there. But if it matters for like yeah. state seating and stuff, right. I'm going to play to win. We're going to honor you before, but I'm going to play to win. Apparently, he didn't hear that. And so he was a first baseman as well, and I decided not to play him. And uh, he came up in front of my would have been my seven-year-old daughter. Mm. And I had my hand on her shoulder, and he walked up with tears in his eyes, and he literally looked me right in the eye and said, what the F is wrong with you yeah. in front of my daughter? Yeah, so I walked him behind the dugout, calmly, put him back there, and I said, you can go in there and take your jersey off. Your career at Corona del Sol is over. Mm. And he threw a fit, and this, this is on senior day, man. I'm In like two minutes, I'm getting ready to go talk about my seniors to all these right. parents. Right, right. And, and then was, get ready to go to the playoffs, too, in the next couple weeks. Exactly. And uh, we went to the playoffs and lost the first game. Right. And I, I don't have a regret. Yeah. <laughs> I know because all the years after that, I honestly believe I started getting a better quality kid because parents knew what they stood for. And although there's a lot of parents who love to run all over coaches and, you know, think they can manipulate the coaches. I, I really don't feel like we get that kind of kid mm-hmm. a kid whose parents are like, this guy doesn't put up with anything. My kid's going to get a fair shake. He's going to be honest. He's going to make sure he gets grades. And my kid's going to leave that a man. Yep. And like you said, be a better human. Be a better human. And he's going to have a landscaping degree because our kids aren't afraid to do field work. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Try to get that rye grass. They got to get it green though, man. They gotta- heck yeah. Heck yeah. It's coming. <laughs> we fertilized it. Me and Coach Vesley mixed up some microbes, some bacteria, literally, <laughs> last week. Uh, and we sprayed our whole entire outfield uh, with these microbes that are supposed to encourage growth. 
Isn't it crazy? So, like at baseball, like I think there's another very unique thing about baseball coaches. You'll suddenly become some mad scientist trying to get the weeds off of it or get the thing to grow, it keep it green. It's like we have all these little tricks, you know, like yeah, you just, yeah. it's just what's so unique about baseball coaches. I joke with my basketball coach all the time. He's a great dude. I'm like, dude, how is it? You get the guy on the little machine to wash and sweep your floor. He drives it back. And then every once in a while, you run that giant mop over it. And then that's it. <laughs> Flip the lights on and practice. All right, guys. Practice time. That's exactly. crazy. Oh, man, that was, that's been awesome. You know, just a great, a great testament to the uh, freaking culture, man. That was what a way Everything. to start things off, man. That is awesome. Um, wow, just getting into a unique, unique way of playing baseball, man, like the Del Sol way. Do you have a way of like – or you said Aztec 101. That's kind of like what you guys do, right? Well, Aztec 101 is more like what I call um, – Aztec Baseball 101 is the presentation I do with parents. Okay. So I'll do that with the parents on what to expect, what we stand for, you know, that a kid doesn't play – like the AIA says – you know, if you have a D, you can still play. Well, I don't have that. Our whole school, pretty much every program says if they're passing, you're good, except for us. They got to have a C. You can't, if you can't get a C, you're not going to go anywhere in life, really. That's just the way I look at it. Yeah. Uh, and I got, I just raised those standards. And it's amazing. When you raise them just a little bit, it's funny how they'll rise up to it. You get some kids that'll challenge you. Stick with your guns. Say, sorry, you're going to miss some playing time. You know, it's so, not. So oh, is that well, what you do? You. So that what you oh, do, yeah. you kind of check, you check their grades. And if they don't get the C average, then it's like, oh, you're just going to miss some time until you yeah, check miss them games. again. Yeah, 100%. You know, now that you can run them in the ground, you can run them till they barf. You can do things that are undesirable. But it ain't going to change, really. Right. You got to take playing time away. And I know, you, and, and, and you know what, we, we're not afraid. I'm not afraid to meet with them. I don't do this. Kids don't like being called out in front of the group. So I'll do it usually personal. I'll say, you're costing us. You're not just costing you by not being able to play this game. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm, I tell them, you know, somebody's going to step up. Somebody's going to step up. Someone's going to play and, and we're going to still compete. That game's still going to go on, even though you're not going to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's amazing when, when it be, when it's playing time and not just running or physical something, how quickly they get stuff fixed. Oh, teachers sure. want to help, man. Regardless of where you are in the, in the country, most teachers want to help you you just got to put in some extra time that's what i tell my guys Mm -hmm. so Mm. fantastic okay i was just thinking like the aztec way of like you know because also i think uh do you feel like it's also getting yourself because people now know the kind of way that you do play as well you know the kind of game that you play you know oh yeah it it spills over 100 percent into gameplay i mean we're the rebels and in, 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 I don't know if in Arizona, but definitely in the East Valley where there's just an unbelievable amount of great teams in our area and tons of good baseball in our area. And I'm, I'm uncommon man to the core. We've put uncommon, we've put selfless on shirts. We've put grit, you know, I don't put compete cause everybody freaking competes. I mean, you put that on a shirt. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, you're going to put some catchy phrase. No, I'm going to put, character over everything or culture over everything selfless uncommon i'm going to put something that we really stand for that is going to be different than anybody else i want to be a rebel the other direction it's mm-hmm. become acceptable to talk trash from the dugout to try to get in people's heads never mm-hmm. never ever ever and you know kids come from club baseball and they're a little chirpy we never chirp we never say anything to the other team we will come unglued when we get a sack bunt down, when we score a run for our own guys, we'll talk to our own guys. We will, 
stay enthusiastic in the dugout and it will never involve the other team mm. ever. And my guys take it personal when you do, you have no idea, you know, a kid that's being shut down by his coach because he holds a higher standard and he's not allowed to talk and he's got to take that from the other team. You're just motivating us. I've walked up to another coach after a game and literally said, you must not have a lot of uh, faith in your team because you let them talk all kinds of trash. And if that's how you got to try to get into my high school kids head to beat us, so be it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we're going to beat you straight up. We ain't going to try to have to get into your head and talk trash and chirp to try to manipulate the game. We're going to beat you straight up. I've told mm-hmm. coaches that before, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a fungus out here at times in Arizona. Uh, some of the, some of the things that go on with dugouts and stuff like that. And once again, it all comes back to character. Mm-hmm. It really does. Oh, for sure. So we're different would, in that respect. There's just not not as many of those teams and coaches anymore that are willing to do that. Just hold the standard, hold the line, and yep. you know, like I said, be more. Uh, you have a program of significance. It's more than just the wins and losses. One hundred percent. We're building men. You know, I mean, my my son just graduated. He came through there. A lot of his friends he played with that were younger came with him, um, and made it through our program. And you know what? I mean, you coach your own kid. Some guys are like, oh, I don't want to coach my own kid. I want him to go somewhere else. You know, and I was harder on him. I, there was a lot of a lot of times I was like, I, I, I need to, you know, and Vesley was quick to tell me, you need to shut up, dude. You're <laughs> too much. Because I was hard on him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but I'm, I, I, I honestly believe I coached him just like other kids. And I, and I think he was a greater person for playing in our program. And that's mm-hmm. my own kid. So. No, that's yeah. great. No, I, sure. Uh, man, I'm just thinking too, like about our guys, like I know, like, cause you, you, you mentioned earlier about, you know, your kind of offense and how you play for those, the, the, the stadiums that you play for uh, in the state tournament, you know, yeah. and like how you play the game there. Is that also a very unique way of playing the game? Like how you kind of go about it to get ready for that. I know like your West coast offense kind of stuff. I know is yeah. that, very, is that you know, helping you? You know, we play in a we play in a decent sized high school yard. There's a lot of small yards in our area. Uh, not, I mean, not as many, many as I found out in some other parts of the 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 country as I've traveled. Some of these places are really really small. We're about three thirty five down the left field line, about three ninety in center, but then in right field, really sh- we got a short porch, like three ten, mm-hmm. but it plays really big to left um, for us. I mean, the ball doesn't fly. Um, so, you know, we, we have to, we gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta design your offense around what you're dealt. I mean, are you an older, more experienced and physical team? Cause they've hit puberty and the weight room. And all of a sudden they're capable of driving the ball a little bit more. Um, or are you going young a little bit and, and, or maybe you're not as quite physical that year. So you got to go more towards that. Like you said, West coast style, but regardless, we are trying to hit every ball we can through through our middle infielders or through the center field fence. We stay to the middle of the field and we try to hit low line drives everywhere. And the ball, it's funny. We were talking today with a lot of younger kids about cues and hitting. And now you have to trick yourself into sometimes creating the right bat path. And sometimes like this whole Twitter war on hitting, it's largely about what people are using as literal cues as hitting and what guys are saying, no, it's just a cue it's figurative. So, I mean, it's like when you say swing down at a ball, most guys don't actually swing down when you put them on film. 
they feel like they're swinging down, but what they actually get out of that is a flat plane swing that they stay through. And you trick yourself into doing that. And, you know, that's what we do a lot. We work on trying to maintain all of our cage work and BP work falls to the middle of the field. We're not living in the air. Okay. But it's funny how, and I was taught this when I was taught to hit uh, in sixth grade that your eyes almost miss lower than what you're always aiming at. Mm -hmm. You're always going to miss just a little bit lower. Like if you're aiming for the top back half of the ball, nine times out of 10, you're literally going to strike right on the back of the ball. When you're looking at the ball as a whole and you're trying to strike the middle back at middle back half of the ball, crazy enough, you're going to miss the, and hit the bottom half uh, and pop up a little bit. So we hunt that top back half. We hunt low line drives when we're swinging it. And what happens is it runs into guys that have a little bit more juice. They'll hit the ball out, um, mm -hmm. drive the ball in gaps routinely. Okay. But you don't always have those guys. So, I mean, high school is partly people realizing who you are and that kids know who they are. I mean, are you, are you uh, a little guy that's, you know, quick and you got to play, I got to bob through the holes. I got to be a tough out. I got to have a high on base percentage. You know, am I a doubles? Am I a gap guy? Or am I a true power guy? And we rarely at our place get a true power guy. We got a kid at ASU right now uh, who's a true power guy. And he was in high school. Wow. And you wanted him to kind of get it up in the air and hit it. Mm -hmm. But for most of the guys we get, that's just an out. And that definitely doesn't play in, like I said, those big fields, which we're all in it to try to keep that season going in, in the state tournaments. And I see the death of so many good teams who really can lift the ball on the small fields in high school and they have great regular seasons and then they can't dive fast enough on those big fields. Those balls are all caught. Mm -hmm. And they're like, how did we lose? We're so good. And I'm like, well, I could kind of tell you this, but I probably won't. <laughs> so that's what leads us to the west coast offense a lot of times i mean well so i mean last year's team we had six d1 kids on that team wow. we weren't in our and we only played 10 games yeah um and because the, the season got canceled right that group had played a bunch of them as sophomores we were west coast offense to the core as they grew and they got stronger by their junior and senior year we weren't really west coast offense all that much because they could swing the bat a little bit and I let it eat last year we're back to being young this year so we're going to go through some serious uh west coast offense vibes to put heat on people and I love it man those young teams are actually more fun to coach it's a fun way to play baseball the kids think they don't like it until they do it and then they love it and they embrace <laughs> it and they wear it like a badge of honor when you they start really to this the, uh, the other team like implode they do. It's and, it's and it's every game. It's every game. I'm just like, do you do I, I just it makes me wonder about coaches sometimes. It really does. I'm like, what are you doing at practice, dog? If yeah. we can pull this off on you. So like let's get into a little bit like how do you implement your system? Like how do you implement more of like a West Coast feel, especially for a kid who like came up, um, hasn't done it before, and like you said, they don't really like it at first. Um but um, they don't really care for it. Um, but just trying to learn your system and learn what you do. Like, how do you go well, about? No, you're good. It could be, that's a great point because you're, you're starting with the most unrelatable thing on the planet, which is major league baseball. <laughs> right. Right. And that's really all they know. <laughs> that's all they watch. <laughs> Throw as hard as you can, right. get it as far as you can and strike out a lot. It's getting more and more boring. Uh, our kids hate watching baseball. 
And, 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 and here we are as adults. Here's the realistic side. Think about this. We complain and we whine about kids not watching baseball anymore. Would you? I mean, we appreciate it because we're older generation. We, we love to see the, you know, the thinking man and this and that. And we, mm. we can sit there and we have the patience to sit there. I'm just telling you right now, when you're watching an average of 10 to 11 strikeouts a game, you're not doing anything with baseball to make kids want to watch <laughs> baseball in today's game. Okay. It's, it's boring to them. So this kind of baseball is fun. So we, you know, you, you would ask me about like junior high stuff. I, we don't have our junior high. Um, we don't get a lot of contact with our junior high. So I don't get to really work with like seventh, eighth grade kids before they come to this freshman. Yeah. We have a freshman team, a JV team and a varsity team. Um, you know, we have two fields um, at our place. So, uh, you know, it, so we have more than enough space, but we don't get those kids prior to when they come to us. Okay. So, uh, and, and we're getting a lot of kids, like I said, because of districting rules, we actually get a lot of kids that come from out of district to come to our school to play baseball. So I, I don't know a lot of them. So like you say, how do you start this out? It basically, you know, um, it's not all bunting, but I think that's where you start. I mean, because we're going to talk about running the bases, uh, being aggressive, uh, dirt ball reads, um, you know, from steel to delay steel to fake steals to running off stuff off fake steals. But it seems to always start with, all right, we're going to run a West Coast offense. Let's start with one of the concepts. And that concept becomes bunting. It is amazing how no kid knows how to bunt as a freshman. I mean, if your kids come in as a, you got kids coming in as freshmen and they have a concept of bunting fundamentals, you're like, holy cow, this is interesting. Okay. But that is the, that's the one that's going to take the longest, I think. So that's what really I start with. Okay. Uh, and we did this a while ago and we run, we'll, we'll start with the basic kind of fundamentals that we teach on bunting, which I truly love teaching uh, fundamentals of mostly sack bunting we start with. We'll put out, um, we'll run four stations off the four bases on a field. We'll have a coach throwing to a different function at each base. And we just run them in a cycle. And that's kind of the introduction. So we'll do a, a home plate talk. We'll talk about what uh, fundamentals, the importance of bunting, um, how you stand, where you sit in the box, um, you know, setting the angle early, uh, all those fundamentals, and then we'll kind of put it to use at each base and run them in kind of a cycle. So each of your base will be a different type of bunt? Basically, yeah, so we'll start like, drag bunt, push uh, bunt. when we did it a month ago, it was, uh, home plate was a sack bunt first, a man on first. Um, uh, la, 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 la. So first base was a sack bunt, man on second. Okay, because we never, ever, ever, ever um, well, let me just go back. When we bunt, we start with teaching them when there's a man on first base, you will bunt the ball to the first baseman. Mm -hmm. You won't just get it down. You will never bunt the ball to the third baseman ever. And I, 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 it drives me nuts when people set such low expectations for their kids to just say, just get it down. Yeah. You know, or if the third baseman happens to be right in your face and turn, cause his hips are already pivoted towards second base and throw the lead runner out and you don't get the sacrifice that that's okay. I'm not okay with that. So we got a man on first, we bunt the ball to the first base side. We got a man on second or first and second. We always bunt the ball to the third base side. And then we explain to them, you know, the why of that, yeah. you know, that which is important that they understand the why and they go, Oh, that makes sense. And then you just hold them that standard. So that'll be your first two stations. 
Uh, at second base is a suicide because we run crazy amounts of suicides. Uh, that is the that is the one thing that you can sh I can share with you that will absolutely <laughs> show the vulnerability of a team mm -hmm. is a suicide squeeze, really, um, because you can run a lot of stuff off of that, and the wheels start turning, the panic buttons start getting pushed. So what, uh, are, you, what, then, are, you, what are you only going to run it off the suicide squeeze? So what, what, what else, what'll be your next step after that? Like, so you're going to set them up with just running the suicide squeeze. Okay. So, well, okay. So the last, the last station that we're going to run is either a drag bunt at third yep. base or a push bunt. And, and we're going to, we're going to set you up for both of those two. Mm -hmm. So everything is kind of the setup and then doing things when, when people think they're, you're not going to do it and then doing it again, because there's something about the brain. It's kind of funny. It's like, it's kind of like you got a catcher who like tries to constantly, he calls a game based on tricking the hitter instead of picking a scab and saying, this guy can't hit an inner half pitch for his life. I'm just going to live on the inner half. You know, I mean, they're always going to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think he's probably going to look for it now. So I'm going to mix it up and throw it away. And then he gives up a double and you're like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I thought I'd trick him. And that's <laughs> coaches' brains kind of think like that too, believe it or not. Yeah, and they don't think overcoaching and things. What's that? Like overcoaching, what you're saying, basically. Yeah, well, that, and they kind of think like, they're like, God, they've run two hit and runs in a row. They won't run a third, and then we will. You know, you know, you turn turn the game upside down and do the non-conventional, and it's funny how panic buttons uh, occur. So um, what was your question? Your question again was... Like, you're talking about setting up for the oh, suicide, suicide squeeze, okay. man. So I'll tell you, this is my fave, all right? So... Uh, we're going to, we're going to practice, um, in like sim games with usually our outfielders bunting, um, and our backup infielders to start. We'll eventually then replace our backup infielders with our starters. We'll put all our starters out there. We'll put a pitcher on the mound. Uh, he'll, he'll either throw a live ball or we'll do a coach pitch or a machine. And, um, we'll, we'll go off a handbrake. We always go off a handbrake. That's our key on our suicides. We don't run a safety because we're so successful always with suicides. Really, we work on it that much. Um, it's so you don't, high. You don't like the safety on a, uh, I thought we talked about safety on a first and third. I don't like any safeties. No safety? Yeah, I, I respect coaches that run it. It's not like I look at a coach that runs it. Um, I just, we have such a high percentage on a suicide squeeze and we get people thinking so much about it if you plan it right in a game. And I, I feel like sometimes coaches don't take notes or they don't take notes from year to year because we'll do it from year to year uh, with them as well. So we're going to create a high percentage suicide squeeze a lot. So we're going to, cause we're going to work on it a lot. Yeah. And then we're going to strategically plan it. Like we play you for the first time. Uh, I am probably when I get a guy on third base, regardless of situation by the third or fourth inning, going to run a suicide squeeze. Mm. Okay. I'm going to run one and I honestly believe we'll get a run out of it. And the other team will be like, huh? Okay. Does he not have confidence in this guy? doesn't have to be a bottom of the order guy. It can be a two hole guy. We're going to run it for purpose. Cause my guys know that we're going to get a run. And if they're team guys, they go, I'm going to get it. I sacrifice this for the team, but I got to run out of it. Good for me. Good for the team, but it's all for a greater purpose. Now you've set that in motion. You've set this whole, panic button basically in in motion what we'll do next after we run it and we get a run we'll get to about the fifth or sixth inning as soon as we get the first time where we get a first and third we're going to run a, a fake suicide steal we're going to have loud feet 
We're going to bounce immediately back. The catcher's going to panic. He knows we've already suicided. He's going to peek down to third right away. We're going to walk into second base. And now I got guys in scoring position. Mm-hmm. Perfect world. I'll suicide the very next pitch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If not, I might do a double steal, double suicide, where you you get that uh, lead runner kind of banking on a really – he's got a big secondary right. because that guy in front of them is the guy they're worried about. Okay. In their brain, they're going, well, crap. They just pulled one over on us. I'm feeling kind of violated. They're still kind of feeling violated. And then you really make them feel violated when you start both runners. That second guy's got an enormous lead at second base. Right. And he's trailing. He steals. He's got a great jump. The pitcher can't get the play at the home, makes the play at first, and our trail guy follows and scores. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, that's not a 100%, but we oftentimes will set up later in the game a second suicide to get another run because of that. Here's the other thing. I have a phenomenal pitching coach and we've had an unbelievable pitching staff. Um, so we're playing for those runs. We score three runs in a game. We're going to win. That's the goal. I mean, we've had under a three ERA for like four years in a row. Wow. And I haven't had a 90 guy in 23 years. Mm. <laughs> I've never That's had a 90 terrible. guy. Just teach kids how to pitch. That's right. Change up is, is if you, if you teach kids how to throw a change up, you will beat the best teams in every state. Mm. You will. Mm. But um, that's the thing. So, I mean, we play that style largely because we're, we're, we're believing to our pitchers are going to hold them to in our defense. Cause we're, we're very, very defense oriented as well. We are going to keep those, those runs from scoring. We're going to minimize on that end. And then we're going to find ways to score and win the game. And I just, I, they love it. They start to love it. They party in the dugout. They get excited when we're doing suicide squeezes, I mean, a lot of teams would be like, oh, that's how you score to run. My kids are out of their gourd excited. Um, it's like stealing Christmas gifts, man. I mean, really, we really feel like we're pulling one over on you and the kids love it. Mm-hmm. So it's good. Don't knock it until you try a thing. No, nah, man. And that's, it's just funny because, I mean, a lot of, you know, what I've heard in the West, we're over in the East Coast and and it's it's just a different uh, a different style of baseball, you know, but with the west coast style it just seems like west coast style it's just more uh it's more acceptable but yeah if, if guys over here like and i know like for me like there were times i could have did more small ball i could have did, ran more of a west coast style of offense based on my personnel um but yes. yeah it, it's it's uh and that's where i think the big coaching comes out of it you know so i mean but it's it's more acceptable most in the west coast but like on the east coast it's just good baseball it really yeah. is on to being good baseball and like you said using the right personnel like right now we're young this year so we're going to be doing more of these there things you, you yeah. know i mean so what kind of so you start off with four bases basically four base bunting doing in yeah, that I'm how then do you incorporate i'm super meticulous on fundamentals too that's the thing i mean i i think i'm not a know-it-all but i have a process and just a way of refining how to teach bunting that seems to in our program doesn't mean anybody else has to do this way of teaching fundamentals. They're going to have a very high percentage of getting a bunt down. And I have a lot of faith in it. I really do. I mean, it's like, everybody's got their kind of honeypot as far as coaching, like this is what I do well. And, you know, the thinking part of the game and pushing the norms and what's, you know, I don't know what's expected and playing something that's unexpected during a game really been rewarded with 
how pleased kids are with that as well and how much fun the game becomes. Uh, and it works. And, you know, mm -hmm. whether you, people talk down, you know, you got people on Twitter that are just saying bunting is the worst thing in the world. And, and Hey, they're allowed to have their opinion. That's fine. Um, but come play us. You'll see. <laughs> You'll see <laughs> you how know, much you, it matters you do things differently. So coach, so like, so what is your basically is your, when you're talking, your bunting process, is it the, just the four bases or is even breaking it down even farther how oh. you're taking the technique of bunting and what. To oh, look. way, way more yeah. than that. You know, technique wise, you know, some of the stuff's going to be consistent, but you know, some of the stuff may be different. We're going to get on the dish. On a, so we're talking sack bunt. Uh, yeah. We're going to get on the dish. First, first of all, you know, you're going to get a sign. And this is what I tell the kid. You're going to get a sign before the pitch is thrown, before you're even in the box and you know where the runner is. So we tell them there's a man on first. You were going to bunt the ball to first. We're going to give you the, the strategy and we're going to give you the fundamentals to do that, to have a high success rate in getting it to the first baseman. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not just first base side. I want him to have the ball and either race you to the bag on a sack or have to toss it to a pitcher who's got his back to the, the bag while he's trying to catch a ball from a first baseman. I want the ball in the first baseman's hands only. And so we're going to get good at that. And that, that takes practice and it takes the proper fundamentals. You could take the kid to go, all right, coach gave me a sack bunt sign. Great. There's a man on first. I'm bunting at the first base side. So we go into kind of bunt fundamental 101 to teach him that you get on the dish, make sure you have plate coverage. Okay. You're going to get up in the front of the box. I don't care if they know you're going to bunt. Okay. Um, we're going to square early. As soon as he goes set, we are always going to square early. It's a sack bunt. I don't need you to surprise anybody. I just need you to bunt the ball to the first baseman. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to do on that. We're going to, I give them kind of little markers. Like if I'm a right-handed hitter, I'll say, okay, first of all, if it's on the line, uh, it's a useless bunt. I do not want a ball on the line. A drag bunt would be different, but uh, I want a ball to the first base side. I want it off the line. I think coaches are too meticulous. They, they give you like this big of a space to work on bunting mm -hmm. and they should give you about 10 feet from the line. Because if a pitcher moves 10 feet to get that ball after throwing a pitch, your guy's going to be on second base, even if he fields it. Okay. Sure. And I think, I think when, when, when guys create fine, small lanes, they're being very unrealistic. So we give, we'll put cones out there. We'll say, this is your lane. You're going to bunt through. Okay. We're going to square. When we square, I tell them it's like crapping in the woods. Okay. You're going to face the, if I'm a right-hander, face the left-handed batter's box, you're going to squat straight down and then you're just going to pivot your hips forward and let my back knee drop slightly. Okay. I'm not going to get in the old uh, one knee down, almost mm -hmm. stance where I'm like right here. Yeah. Okay. Drives me nuts. Sorry. If guys, I know a lot of guys still do that. We squat, we get low and then we get the bat at the top of the zone right underneath my chin. So I give them, the top of their zone, which is right underneath my chin. I'm going to start at the top and I'm going to work down with my knees. Okay. If it's the ball to first, I know I'm going to find my angle. So as soon as he goes set, I squat, I square, and my knob, my knob on my bat is going to be pointing at the third base coach. Being right-handed. Yep. Being right-handed. That angle right there will give you a perfect angle. Now it's like, I tell us like goofy golf when you're trying to bunt or when you're trying to putt, and you try to hit the wedge and it hits the angle and goes the other direction, yeah. you're the wedge. I say, be the wedge. That's it. Yeah. So you set that angle. Okay. We set that barrel slightly above uh, level. We're not 45 here. We're just slightly above flat. 
okay? Knob at the third base coach, and then I'll bunt the ball. Um, when we bunt the ball, we're looking for the end of the bat, last six inches. We'll put tape on, um, on a bat and let them really see where the end of the bat is and feel the ball getting bunted off the end of the bat. You know, the, the term, I think I referred to this when I, when I saw you at that clinic, mm-hmm. the term when people say catch, uh, catch the ball when you bunt, like trying to catch it. It's the worst thing I was ever said. Worst thing I was ever said by a human being teaching bunting. Because people get, kids get really literal with that. And they literally try to absorb the ball. And they're moving the ball out of, or the bat out of the zone when they do it. And they miss and they get pissed off. Maintain that. Start that angle. Set it towards first base. Find the ball. If I'm at the top of the zone and I get the, get the bat, the, as little movement as I can, there's my angle. I set that angle early. There's my bunt. Vice versa with the man on first or, fir- or first and second or just second. We're going to set the angle early. Okay. We're going to square right away. We're going to pull in our bottom hand a little bit. Now my cap is going to point right at the first base coach. There's my angle at the top of the zone, find the ball. So I know people that are listening to this are going to go, well, we're going to run a wheel on you, dude. You run that early, run a wheel on us. And we're going to slash 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. And we'll work on that. It's not a sign we put on our slash, which we actually do put on some for purpose, but our slash is automatic. You run a wheel, you get slashed on. That's right. That's right. Okay, it will never change. It's an auto. Our kids know. They see guys flashing and coming in. They go up to hit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and, and that's that's kind of our rule. And, um, you know, you do that on one pitch, the ball will be out of the zone. And that next pitch, I'm going to guarantee you most guys don't run a wheel. And we go right back. We'll put it right back on. And we'll bunt it to the third baseman. Uh, and we're going to make him throw us out of first base and we're going to execute our sacrifice and move guys over. Mm. So awesome. Uh, awesome. But setting the angle early is a key too. I mean, I was watching, <laughs> I don't want to throw. Well, you always see that too. Like guys that just, like, it's almost like catching it, you know, they want at the right at the end, it's just moving it, you know, and then all yeah. of a sudden it's foul. And exactly. Well, a lot of guys, a lot of guys will. Okay. Here, here's the thing. Okay. Work on bunting with your kids literally have them get as low as they can literally like you're crapping in the woods. I tell my guys, if you don't get low enough, you're going to crap all over your ankles. Okay. (laughs) So you've got to get really low. Okay. Really low. And I'm 47 and I get my butt really low and I get in there, I get it right under my chin. I'm at the top of the zone and I go, you're going to set that angle right away. You already know there's a guy on first. So I'm going to set the angle. There's only one thing left to do, but a strike, take the barrel to the strike, let it sit there. Now, one other thing that helps, and I know I showed you this, and Butch Chaffin thinks it's like the greatest thing I've ever taught anybody in, in my world, and I didn't know it was that special, is the trigger finger. Yeah, it's awesome. Have you used that yet? I haven't, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. I, I'm just waiting. There's a guy I'm working yeah. out with, and he wants to start looking at a button. I'm like, just wait till the trigger finger comes out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's just, it's just a, so much stronger way of holding the bat, they, yeah. it, and it leads to – so much more feel in bunting and it's amazing how much better kids do. So explain, explain how did you like come up with this? Like, where did it start? I had a coach. I had a coach in college. A coach in college he, like, he didn't like, he didn't feel like, huh? Yeah. Cause everybody I did it in the college up. in the early 1990s. Wow. Okay. When you think about that too? I mean, now you're thinking about it and you're like, that is the, le- that's another like very like, I don't know how to say it, like not, not athletic, but it's just, it's so, I mean, it's so weird when you think about it, that you're holding yeah. between this finger and this finger, 
And then you're going to try it one time and you just rest it on your middle finger here, rest yeah. the bat, put your thumb right on top and then run that finger up the back of the bat. And you can go, our guys will take that hand and go all the way up to the sweet spot Yeah, and hold the bat and they'll just find it. And it is like night and day with how many bunts you get down. It really is. It is. And I, I just took it for granted. We taught it like that for 20 years. And then in the last few years, I, we were talking bunting and we were sitting around and talking. I mentioned that and which is like, Oh, that feels so much better. It makes so much good and are so much better. And, and I was like, yeah, man, you guys don't do that. And they're like, never heard of it in my life. And I'm like, never no way. Never. Crazy. It yeah, is crazy. It, you know, it's one of those things that I guess I, I took it for granted that it was such a big deal. Yeah, never, never. You know, everybody's like, thumbs up, slot it down, you know, right? Ish. Never, Fate trigger. It's just never, man. Like, you never go back. I'm dude, telling I'm you. already like, there's a, there's a, just a couple friends of mine even over here. Just, I know that big bunk guys and can't wait to show them the trigger. <laughs> yeah, like, it is, man. It works. It's wild, man. So, like, think about, um, so uh, bunting, we know is part of that. It's kind of step one. Um, and I'm just thinking of how does the base running come up? Like, what, what is the next, like, do you do you like four base, base running as well? Uh, yeah, and kind we, of bring in base, those situations too? Yeah, we'll, so we'll, we'll do every, every day we take, we take live VP every day off an arm. Um, you know, we, we'll mix in machine for scrimmages and stuff like that. But I am just a big believer in live arm BP. We do the, like kind of what Louisville coaches last year at the uh, ABCA talked about, like the distances. We use a distance chart. So we throw BP at 33 feet at 55 miles an hour, which is the equivalent of 88 to 92, somewhere in there. Um, so we throw firm BP from close distance because that's what we're going to see. So we prepare there. While we're hitting that live arm BP, we will always have base runners, always. Mm. So we're always running base runners that are in a situation. All of our groups, we will have some free swing, but most of it is hitting for situation. There's a group starting at first, there's a group at second, group at third. Um, like exclusively when we have one out, when we have one out, the guys at third base who are running, will ask how many outs coach drive them in. And when we drive them in, it's going to be on first, you know, first downward angle. Okay. Those guys are going to go. If there's zero, if I say there's zero outs, they're going to see it through. So that's kind of a maxim they learn and they ask us, what are we doing over here? And that's what we're going to do. You take that and you put it then into a situation game and you start paying you know, where guys are bunting, guys are dragging, um, guys are running suicide squeezes, and we're doing that. Then we go into that same situation game, and you get them to realize, and you kind of like map it out and slow the game down. And you go, okay, look, check this out. Watch what happens here. You get a runner on second base, and you get less than less than two outs, and you're we're going to have our guy on second, not necessarily steal a bag, but he's going to get a really aggressive, even, you know, he's going to get the attention of the middle guys. OK, this works, especially in a situation where they've already told you the second baseman is probably going to take over coverage. OK, and he's going to kind of hold a runner at second and you're going to get a guy who's really in a one way lead. He's not really intent on leaving. He's baiting the second baseman to get closer to that bag. Mm -hmm. And as soon as that second baseman is getting closer and cheating to the bag to try to hold that runner a little closer or he's jockeying to get back, we're going to run a push bunt to the second base side. So we're going to bait him into that. So it's like to run base running styles of West Coast offense, what you do is you think about what defender, defenders do and how you get them um, to move out of a normal position where they're comfortable uh, and you bunt. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you bunt in situations where they don't have a chance to put anything on. It's kind of like uh, we used to run this. We really don't run anymore. It's kind of like we used to call it the little league play because it was like such a little league move where uh, you get guys on a three ball count and we just touch the back of our head. And that meant that, hey, you're you're on that three ball count. If it's three one or three two, you're obviously you get a you get a fat pitch. You're hacking. But if you happen to walk with this, you're going to keep on going. And we would only run it with the guy on third. Yeah. And it's amazing how that guy keeps going and he turns and immediately after hitting first, he keeps going towards second, but he looks in to see. And that catcher a lot of times still got the ball or he's thrown it to the pitcher. And when you don't give a kid who has been conditioned in practice right. the time to put on the first and third play panic buttons, and that kid will turn around and all of a sudden throw it, and our guy stops and the guy from third scores. And it's a cheap run, but uh, when you don't let a team who has been conditioned to set up a play set it up, mm-hmm. that's when the panic buttons happen. And that's the same thing. You just get a kid, he's kind of, you know, he doesn't know he's being baited, but we're going to bait him into holding the runner at second base, and then we're going to push right behind him. Um, we're going to run a, you know, I think this is pretty much common sense, but like, when do you run? Um, delay steal. We love delay steal. Okay. Anytime you get inattentive middle infielders or anytime you get a catcher who goes down on his knees to throw the ball back to the pitcher, we are 100% going to run a delay steal. Okay. It's to the point where we teach our kids this, we work on it and then they just know it. And they start coming in going, coach, catcher's going down on his knees, he's being lazy, throwing the ball back to the pitcher. Uh, or second baseman is, uh, you know, he's not, we call them circles, which is just whenever there's anybody on, we get our middle moving towards the middle and then back to position right. to take away a delayed steal from someone else. Right. Our fielders will do that. They'll come in and they'll go, coach, no circles, no circles. And I'm like, let's do it. And we'll run it. And you'll get a kid who gets in, he gets his prep step, he gets in there, the ball's by, and then he's turning Turns around right. and looking at the outfield. And there we go. So inattentive middle infielders we're watching for. Uh, catchers that get lazy and get used to throwing the ball back on their knees. Um, our catchers will always stand up and throw the ball back to try to prevent that. Um, you get in situations like, uh, God, I had another one. No, it's not in, what was it? Oh, uh, anytime a third baseman makes an error, we're going to drag at you the very next play. Nice. So again, I shouldn't say every time, but we love doing that. Yeah. I mean, it, it really, you, you throw a ball away, he gets booted, he's in another world. That very next pitch, it's beautiful to put the heat on him again. It's amazing. Sounds harsh, but stuff like that works. And that's... See, it's just so funny. Like, what I love about this conversation, too, and just always just being able to talk with you and the last time we did is just like... And I think most of the East Coast guys, especially um, guys that find ways to win and, and do the best they can with it, is they would find out that they do some of these things, you know, um, and it, it's, it is considered West coast offense, but it, it's, it's still, I think what a part of like what a lot of good coaches do. Like I ran that, like we caught a bonsai. We just ran it. We ran on a verbal, but when the guy on third base guy walks and got us, we just, we just, it was a verbal and yeah. guys kept on, kept on rocking. So like, I just think there's things like delay steals are over, you know, are definitely East coast and guys that run it. And uh, it, but it's like, I just think there it's almost like there's just a stigmatism to it, but it's just like, I know people, you know, on the East coast that run this kind of offense, you know, it works and it does. It, and you're just it, trying it, to find ways to win and you're trying to find ways to squeak out runs. And, it, um, but even like what you're saying, like with, 
a third baseman makes an error and then dragging on him. Like, like, I, I, you know, people find ways to do that, you know, like it's just, funny. it is, you know, it's um, you get a lefty, for instance, you get a lefty that has a good move, but it's a slow move. And he shows it a lot because it's probably worked for him. Yeah. He likes it. You know, he, he likes to hang. He likes to really, you know, slow the running game by, he proves to you probably early at first base that, man, I can hang up here all day long and you you try to take off. I'm just going to go down in a hurry. That first base was going to close, go inside and you're toast. And hey, I've been known to shut down running games. Well, for us, you hang up there long. As soon as we get a guy on third base and first and third, we're going to get that guy at first oh. a huge lead. He's going to hang and we're going to score mm. and we're going to get the ball. And that's my other, like we are on defense. I love an athletic defensive first baseman. We don't just put trogs over there because they can hit. And if they are kind of trogish and slow, we're going to teach them how to play a great defensive first base. I, I have a tough time having a bad first baseman because you're susceptible for things like that. Mm-hmm. Lefty who loves to hang and slow. As soon as he gets a guy on third, we're going to get that guy off in a huge lead and just tell you to pick over, I convince you to pick over and we're going to steal, steal home plate from third. It's all those little things like that, but you got to be watching as a coach. Yeah. You got to be paying attention to what's going on and aware of those situations. Uh, and you got to practice it. Yeah. But that's, that's what I was going out that. in the middle of the game. Right. Cause like I said, you know, you said like you've mentioned how meticulous you are detailed, the process of how you do those things is, and especially with a younger team now, like, do you have like a sheet like, okay, here's our situations. Like we're going to run through this. And like Sherm will say, yeah. like you put them in the jungle at practice and say, you know, let's do this in the game and let's practice this because it's how we, like, do you have right. all these situations that you try to put them in? Uh, yeah, we do. And so it, it, that, that kind of fits into, into just like um, we'll, we'll do something called chaos drill. Yeah. Well, we can run chaos drill out of anything. So we'll start it with like um, we're doing rundowns and we'll have a first and third. And, you know, guy leaves early or, uh, you know, guy steals and he stops. And what do we got to do here? And, and we tell the base runners, do the craziest stuff possible. Some coaches are like, hey, try to act dumb. Act like another team. I go, act like you know everything and push and, and make it super difficult on them. Because you really do know everything. You know how we do this stuff. So act like that. And coaches are actually afraid of that. But what you get out of that is chaos on defense and they learn to deal with it. They fail a lot, believe it or not, on that. I think you can believe they do when the runners kind of know what they're going to do. But what you get out of that is quick thinking. Yeah. And what can happen in any situation. And, and that's where you do all the rest of the stuff. And again, I, I mentioned earlier this thing, this why thing. It's so big in coaching. If you start conditioning yourself to coach a topic and then don't, don't wait till someone asks you why. Coach it, say why. Coach it, this is where it happens in a game. Uh, you saw my catch play thing, right? Yep. When we talk about catch play and we talk about how we step catch throw and we talk about why we step catch throw, here's why we do it. And I would say, okay, here's where this throwing in a square is going to be in the game. Okay, this is where you're going to use it. So this is why we do it this way. And kids, immediately they're getting feedback of, okay, now I got buy-in. I'm why I'm going to work on this. Okay. Don't be that. I like that, that my way, the highway guy, just change your structure and how you coach and say, this is what we're going to do. And then this is why we do it. And so when we do these things, you know, when it's chaos, we'll tell them, all right, let's stop. Let's go back to where we were and let's coach this through. Or 
we'll just talk things through in a scenario where we can say, okay, let's just say we were to do this to someone else. Let's say someone does that to us and we'll set up that, slow things down, walk through it and say, here's this guy. Where are you going to be? What is your function? Every single guy in the infield has a function, including outfielders too. Mm -hmm. We'll bring outfielders in. You're dropping down. You're my extra guy down here or you're backing up. So we're talking it through, walking it through uh, and slowing the game down. And then you just put them in chaos and you run it all at them and you make them have to handle it. And at first they don't get any outs and they get frustrated. And the, you know, outfielders a lot of time who are running or second, you know, string guys, they're laughing and they're doing this and they're like, coach, they're cheating. And I'm like, well, <laughs> the other team's cheating apparently too, because they got a whole nother plan for what you guys are going to expect. And so, um, I think it's, it's slowing the game down and showing them why, which is so important. And you take what you're doing to other people. There's a quote that I use with our guys, um, which basically has to do with our strategy and why we do everything that we do. Okay. We're, we're going to basically, um, I'm trying to think how I say it. And, you know, I say it's a quote, but it's more of a kind of a mantra kind of thing. Um, we're going to like look at other people's deficiencies and then we're going to pick on them. Okay. So we're going to find people's holes and our goal on our side is to eliminate those same holes. Okay. So with hitters, you know, we're going to pick on the inner half and we're going to create a swing on our side where we can handle a ball in the inner half. So our whole goal is to find their weakness and pick it like a scab. And on our side, we're going to try to find every weakness we have and then find a solution for it. Okay. I mean, it's just like, you know, problem-based solution and almost like it's critical thinking. It's, it's the Socratic method. You know, you're, you're taking yourself and you're saying, here's my deficiency as I've seen it, I've been proven to it. Am I going to just learn to stay with what's comfortable or am I going to try to eliminate this one? And that's my whole goal, calling pitches, running stuff is you show me something, woof, we are going to go after it. Whether it's in your swing, uh, whether it's on the hill, whether it's on defense, we're going to find a way to exploit it. Mm -hmm. That's really the way I coach and the way our guys learn to kind of master the game. Yeah, you're trying to be problem solvers, man. Like, yeah. do you, it seems like um, every day you put them in some type of live scenario like a game like uh, live scenario, would you it's say? It's close, especially early on. Yeah, again, that's like, you know, we talked earlier about how a lot of it has to do with your personnel, like whether you do West Coast or you let them bop a little bit or it changes how, how much you're doing bunting and stuff. Um, it, it's kind of like when you look at a season and you go, okay, this part of the season, uh, we're really going to need to get in a lot. We're young and we're going to need to get a lot of fundamental stuff. So we're going to spend more time with that. I mean, we had 14 seniors last year and they were a very, very talented team that they had put the work in to learn the game. So I didn't have to spend quite as much time going back and saying, all right, we're going to start with this. It was a quicker with, let's get it done. We don't have to do it till it's perfect. Let's see it. And let's move on. Let's see it. Let's move on a little bit quicker. Whereas with the younger teams, like we're going to have this year, it probably will be almost an everyday thing where yeah. we take a little bit of time to do it. Yeah. Even, just, so even it, develop it the routines and stuff like that. Cause I know like with your, throwing program that you have is very detailed and you know, they have a routine. So I'm sure just the time to build that stuff in. Do you guys have fall ball? Like, is it, or is it just what you got we right do. now? Every state's it's weird. Uh, uh, we're backward in this too. 
with everybody else. I, I love the weight room. Um, we have uh, trainers uh, that are baseball specific and they're phenomenal. And they, uh, our kids come in and we have a seventh hour baseball class. It's a PE class, mm-hmm. but it's all baseball players, it's like 56 baseball players in one class. Great. Wow. And they come in and they train our guys uh, during the fall. So we hit the weights hard. What I'll do in the early fall where some other teams will play in, I mean, it's hot as hell in the fall here, man. I mean, it, the hottest part is not summer. It really is like August, September. Really? Oh, yeah, wow. it's pushing back later and later. It's kind of weird. I mean, you're talking, we're getting a little bit of humidity, which is unusual for us. Yeah. And you're getting really high triple digits, 110, 112 into in- August. It's miserable. I, kids don't want to play during that time. They yeah. really don't. Not here. And so it's a great time to get them off the field, give them a break, get them in the weight room, and get them big. Mm-hmm. So we'll get them off. We'll get them in the weight room, August, September into early October. We'll start playing catch, moving into long toss routines. We're still lifting like crazy. And then in uh, late August, we usually start to get them, or, excuse me, October, October, we start to get them back on uh, the field again. And then once we get them back late October into November, we'll go until June. Really, we're going from that point on. A lot of people do it opposite. They put their kids out there in 110, 112. They're sweating. The kids don't want to be out there. You know, it, it's it's kind of miserable weather to be playing baseball. Um, and then they'll stop. They'll stop. So they'll go, go, go until like November. And then they'll pause. And it's the best time. Here, your ryegrass is in. You know, your field's looking great. It's November. Here, it's 65, 70, 72 degrees. In, in late every November. day and it ain't raining <laughs> it was 72 degrees today so i mean we're in sunny so we were you know we're outside and there's some programs that'll roll into january or january and for the last two months which is great weather they haven't been doing anything because mm-hmm. they did all their stuff when it was hot as crap and kids were miserable out there so i i don't claim to have all the answers it just really works for us we get sure. really really strong in that time period and then you know we really hit it hard and then we don't stop so COVID's been interesting. It's been on and off, but we're back on right now. So we're practicing. We're going four days a week, Monday through Thursday. Nice. Um, just trying to get caught up from time we've missed with a young squad. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, Shoot, yeah. A lot yeah. of our kids too will go play in big events in early fall too. So I'll let, I, they go play on club teams, which is totally fine for a good portion of the time. I don't make them play on a club team. They will. They do work out with us, but we're not doing any baseball specific stuff in August, September, and most October. Mm-hmm. That's good for them just to lift anyways. Yeah. Yeah. It's great, man. Gosh, that's awesome. Um, uh, just a couple of things, like kind of quick hitters that I just kind of stir in my mind, like when you're talking about them. Delay still. Are you like a three shuffle guy or you like a two long big shuffles? I, I, we're, we're a two shuffle. You're a two long ones? We're a two and turn and go. Yep. Okay. okay. Yeah. I've kind of taught it both ways and just kind of seeing what you thought. And Yeah. You know, I don't think that's a, that's not a deal breaker for me. Yeah. I can see a three, two. I've done a three before. Yeah. We're just having in a mode right now, you know, where we've gone back to two. It seems to put us on time. I'm all about timing. Like all of our leads. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether this is a pioneering thing. I find it funny all the time. And then we run a pick off of this. I can't believe how many kids still uh, take early, early secondaries that they'll get their primary lead. And as soon as a pitcher lives, like at first base, second base, wherever, as soon as a pitcher lifts his leg, they're taking their secondary. Mm-hmm. And what happens with that is if you're hunting dirt balls, for instance, 
what happens is you actually get stopped as the ball is crossing the plate. And then you're restarting to try to get to the next base. We assault people with dirt balls. And I feel it's our greatest thing because we take late secondaries. We don't get picked off a lot. We make sure we say when you are sure he's going to the plate, you take your secondary and what it leads to a late secondary, that second hop on our secondary is always when the ball is crossing the plate and our guys just keep going. They never stop. They never lose momentum. I see more guys that we play, especially at second base in that dirt ball where the ball's right in front of you. They miss it because they've stood, they, they, they are standing still when the ball is crossing the plate yeah. and going into the dirt and they're trying to, restart and a catcher blocks it throws them out at third base and i'm like dude and the other thing is you leave yourself open to an inside move you know with an early, with an early secondary yeah with an early secondary yeah. you take an right. early secondary that, it's, it's so aggressive that you know that yeah. your first and movement you're going and i tell my kids this and it's kind of like an epiphany to them and they're like oh because i tell them why we lead late and they're like makes so much sense and then we'll see a team do it and they'll come to me and they're like coach look how early these guys are taking their secondary we can pick them off i'm like let's do it it will. I mean, you get. I no see that. Pivot. I see it a lot too at uh, the third base lead. You see that at third base lead because they go ooh, so early, and then by the time the balls cross the plate, they got to come back because they're too far down. Yes. Which typically is, comes from a, a too big, too big of a primary. But like they've yes. already started, they've already started, and they're halfway down. Then they got to come. I'm like, you're not ready to read a, read a ball at all if you're already thinking back. Exactly. So. Our our key at third base when we lead is handbrake. We don't do anything with the knee. Everything's handbrake. Okay. So like our suicides on handbrake, everything's on handbrake. So our secondary will be on handbrake. So, you know, guys that try to get fans, try to pick you off at third, which there's not a lot of them, but it still happens. Um, uh, you guys that'll mix between a big leg kick and then maybe they'll get a guy in first. So it's first and third and they'll slide step. If you're waiting for a leg kick, you're always caught, you know, kind of stutter stepping. So we just tell them to look whether he's slide stepping whether he's kicking, we're on handbrake. Our secondary is on handbrake at third base. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't look any different when you run a suicide off that either. Nothing. It's, it's the same thing. Everything's sure. coming off handbrake mm -hmm. regardless of his pace. Mm -mm. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, man. So I just, Webby, this has been phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's already been an hour. We're an hour and 15 in. Yeah. <laughs> already rolling, yeah, are, man. man rolling uh what you know you kind of already talked about you know things you would hang your hat on is there anything that you just feel like uh is it something great to share that you just guys just i'd say probably the greatest thing that's ever the greatest thing that's ever happened to me and and i i love that you know you're in a in a, in a way in this fraternity now too is that necton thing it, mm -hmm. it really is we it, it's a group of coaches um, that a lot of them I've known, uh, through USA baseball for a long time, a long time. I've been, I've been at USA baseball with them for 23 years since I started my first year. I went that very first year, 1998 was my first year. And, uh, I met a lot of great people through that, but not, I mean, this group of, uh, 18 guys, uh, there's about eight of us actually that started in, um, I think it was Dallas at the ABCA and we sat down Yeah. And we made our own hot stove. You know, we were talking just about stuff we do. And all of a sudden guys came in and we had a whole group. Were you at that original one? I, I was at the original one, man. Okay, yeah. see, there you go. And so Phenomenal. You know, Two out man. And, and Butch and Tanner and I actually sat down uh, in Wes uh, Brooks. And we, 
you know, we were like, you know, where, what do we do with that? Was great. How can we kind of continue this? And so, you know, at that time, someone introduced Marco Polo. And so we started, there was about seven or eight of us doing it. And then Wes came up with the term nectons, which a necktime is an aquatic animal that doesn't follow uh, like ocean currents, you know, like plankton and stuff like that. They got a mind of their own and they're going to do, you know, it, it encompasses for us, like you're going to do what's right. You're not going to be afraid to be different like a shark, man. The shark doesn't care what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's kind of the thing with the necton. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to do what's best for kids. We're going to have humility. We're going to have character. We're going to have all those things that, you know, and we're going to live it. And then we're going to talk about it all the time. And God, it's, it's never ending. I've got about six uh, WhatsApp uh, messages on my phone, just since we've been on here that are from Necton, the necton WhatsApp, yeah. you know, and We've learned so much from one another. We talk about our families and the, just being able to, to do some stuff where we hopefully can give back and, you know, you know, bring guys into the fray like yourself and uh, Coach Flo, who I met for the first time. Got guys from Georgia, never met the guy in my life. And we just yeah. really hit it off. And, you know, we got to talking and what a great guy. And I can learn from him. And hopefully I gave him some things. And here we are. You're in Maryland. I'm in Arizona. Yeah, this is this cool. is the cool thing. Yeah, this is, is the cool. cool thing, man. And I got to tell you, it's been one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me as a coach mm-hmm. uh, and as a person because they're all really good friends as well. So I, I had to give props to that group because you know it led me to to being here with you and sharing if I had anything valuable to share. <laughs> oh, but it's it's, uh, it's great, man. And, and I and, and I encourage people to do it to to find a group, you know, and start a group, and it would start small and just stay true to it. Don't give up on it. And man, it, it drives my wife crazy. It drives every one of our wives crazy. Every single one of us is married, which I think is kind of cool, by the way, too. That is super cool. Yeah. 18 of us, all of us are still married. All of us have kids. Yeah, okay. No, nobody's without kids. No one's without a wife. So we all feel each other's pain when this sucker starts going off and we're talking about something. And, and all of a sudden I'm on and my wife's yelling at me, get off your phone. You've been gone all day. And I'm like, sorry, it's, you know, we're talking about hit and run, you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Showing him the trigger me. finger. Showing the trigger. Yeah, I know. Trigger <laughs> finger. Come on, I'm trigger finger. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. It's 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 great, man. Just a bunch of great guys. Yeah, I got to know Wes uh, back when Anaheim. Anaheim is when I got to know Wes. Okay. Um, and that was the first year we were both in a Brian King group, and that's how I got to know oh, Wes. And love Brian and, King. Uh, yeah. Um, we, yeah. we actually got to sit with Brian Cannon and Ken revisit that night. Uh, it was amazing. Oh. So me and I me, mean, I was sitting right next to Wes. It was just, and ever since, man, we've just been there and I'm fortunate and blessed myself, man, to sit there with that, with you guys. And that's when Butch, Butch was on the main stage that year when we did. Yeah, that he was, he did. He, he, he lit it up. Yeah, he did. He, oh, no, that was, uh, that was Nashville, right? Oh, uh, I thought it was Dallas. I thought he was, maybe I it was. He might've been Danny Nashville too. Dallas. It might it have been Nashville Dallas. as well. I think you're right. I, I think know. you're right. It was Dallas. It was Dallas. That's right. I'm getting yeah. my uh, what are they called? Gaylord Opryland Hotel screwed up. That's true. <laughs> Easy to do that. Yeah. yeah. Shoot, yeah, you would have been in my backyard this year, man. If it wasn't for COVID, we've been right at DC. I know. I know. We actually were talking about that on our on our group chat. That hey, this is when the ABCA and this is when the Capitol riots were. I was like, yep. oh man. I know. That's scary stuff. It was. It was scary stuff, man. Yeah. It was. So, man, hey, man, before we get rolling here, uh, if anybody wants to reach out more about the West Coast style of offense, like I said, I'm telling you, there's guys out here that I know run this stuff, and they, you know, it's 
it's just good baseball for me. But right. what's the best way maybe to contact me, reach out to you in case someone wants to maybe shoot talk more baseball? Email. Yeah, yeah, shoot me yeah. an email. I'm at Corona del Sol High School uh, in Tempe, Arizona. Again, I'll slow that down. I say it fast because I'm out here. Corona <laughs> del Sol, S-O-L. Uh, a lot of people say we're something out of luck, S-O-L. But uh, <laughs> we don't like to look at it that way. Uh, it's uh, the crown of the sun out here. And um, you can reach me at dweb at tempeunion.org. And Tempe is T-E-M-P-E, union.org. Shoot me an email. Yeah, shoot me an email and we'll talk or I can send you some stuff. I got tons of, I'm a big document guy. I think kids learn uh, well that way. So uh, I got documents that are on in digital form. I can send you on uh, West Coast offense. I sent Coach Flo over at uh, uh, North Hall in Georgia. I sent him some of my documents and we've got a good dialogue going and yeah, I'm up for that. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Oh, that's great, man. Webby, I can't thank you enough, man. This has been awesome. I knew it would my be pleasure. talking chess, you know, Heck yeah, yeah, talking right? chess. Nobody, ain't nobody playing checkers. Ain't nobody, nobody playing, playing checkers. checkers. <laughs> no, it was great, man. I really appreciate it. And I will, uh, I'll definitely still be in touch too. Just different things like that, that I think, um, can bring in. I, I just, the picks plays too. Like there's a whole nother thing of like the pick plays running off of it. And I'd like to get into that and that's where I could get better for sure. Yeah. You know, uh, try it, try it out, dude. Try it, go head on there and, and, and go back on this. I mean, it's recorded, obviously go back and go, okay, mention this and try it out. See what you guys do. Hey, and one more, one more, and then I'll let you go. Okay. You ready? Right. And I yeah, think man. I told you about this one too. I, I, I don't think uh, you guys out on the West coast, they'll never figure it out anyways. Take the first and third when when you got a team. Do you have a team that uh, somebody leaves early at first base? Like they run yeah. a play where they leave the guy early at yeah. first base, try to steal a run, right? And I think I told, I think I mentioned this one before, but you got to try it one time. Just put put your team out there and do this. Put a first to third. Have a say. Hey, we're gonna work on uh, when this guy leaves early. What we're gonna do? Okay. Mm-hmm. Let oh, that yeah, guy yeah, yeah. bounce off. I told you this, right? Yeah, it's great. It's great. Let that guy bounce off a little bit. And then so many people do what seems so common, which is everybody's going to yell, step off. The pitcher steps off. He freezes the guy at third. That's mm-hmm. what a lot of people do. Right. They freeze the guy at third, and then he gives the ball up to the shortstop, right? And now if the timing is right, you know, if that guy goes back, now the shortstop's got to get that guy back. And there's maybe a rundown and the guy at third gets in a rundown and there's a high percentage. He might score because yeah. you're dealing with high school kids. Instead of doing that, turn that play upside down. Play stupid. Teach your kid to step off when that guy does, like everybody's telling him to. Turn his back to the guy, the runner at third and do a great arm fake to your shortstop. The guy at third, 100% of the time, will always either take off or jump another three steps because that team that you're doing that against, that's what they're doing in practice. They're looking for the stupid kid, the kid who's not paying attention to the game and the game speed. And he just forgets about the guy at third and throws it. And so they're teaching that kid. As soon as the pitcher gives it up, that guy at third is gone. Yeah. The shortstop's got to make a 120 foot throw to get you at the plate. So instead just have your pitcher turn around, play stupid Fake the ball to the shortstop, turn right to third, and that guy is cold turkey. And I'm going to give you this 100% of the time. <laughs> Unless you've done it before and they know you do that. So, but I'm just going to tell you, that's a, that's oh. one we did. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it works. It works. Every time. Mm, it's great. Playing chess. 
Playing chess. chess. chess Nobody baby. playing checkers. <laughs> playing chess. No time for no checkers. No time at all. I ain't got time for that. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, buddy. This is the conversations, man. This is what I love. Love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it. So, yeah, man, I honestly will just get touch base to maybe do another time. We'll do do another hour or so of pick plays. and Let's do it. Oh, man, yeah, man, all kinds of fun stuff, man. For sure. Love it. So, Webby, I can't thank you enough, man. Can't thank you enough. My pleasure, bud. It was great seeing you. Coach Dave Webb from Corona del Sol in Arizona just crushing it. Uh, just crushing it, and uh, just can't thank him for the energy, the passion that he that he gave tonight, and uh, for the the call and the conversation, the great conversation with a great man, great coach, and um, Webby, I just I just can't thank you enough, man. Uh, just really just enjoyed. It. I I loved this thing. Big thing that stuck out to me was just the accountability, the high standards, high standards that. One, for me, is a reoccurring thing between really great coaches um, that we've heard from. and uh, But just his, his standards and holding his line really sticks out. And his attention to detail throughout the game, throughout practice, as well as, and what we heard more of, and I think was unique to Webby, is how he does look at the game from a standpoint of here's how we can score runs or here's how we're going to look at you and exploit your deficiency. Um, when that's not a, you know, it's a tough thing. It's still a philosophical thing because someone on the other hand would say, you know, we got to focus on and play our game and, and play to our strengths. Um, you know, so, but he's trying to exploit other people's weaknesses and uh, it works. It works for him and um, they do a great job in Corona del Sol and uh, the career that he's had there and continues to have. So, um, again, Coach Webb, you want to reach out to him, feel free. Uh, he said the email at dweb, D-W-E-B-B, at tempeunion.org, T-M-P-E-U-Union.org, dweb at tempeunion.org. So feel free to reach out to him. A great follow, a good follow on Twitter. Um, you can see Coach Webb on Twitter as well. But can't thank him enough, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I know I really did. Took some great notes, and uh, again, keep sharing the podcast. Let's uh, continue to grow the membership. I think that could find value for anyone that's looking to develop the whole player. And you can see from my coach web, it's about the whole player. There's taking parts of it. There's still we could talk for hours of all the different pieces there are. But this is about the player, about growing the game. And we're looking for that. So if you know someone that will be interested in that, please feel free to share with them. And uh, if there's anybody that we feel out there that is part of this group that likes to develop the whole player and, like Coach Webb, has a mission that's beyond wins and losses, feel free to reach out to me at TreyTCobb at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter. Reach out to me on Twitter. My DMs are open at Coach3Cobb, the letter 3, Coach3Cobb. So until next week, keep getting better.